But we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. And chapter 19, I'm going to enjoy this one very much. I enjoy everyone very much. But you know what? This one here speaks to a lot of people here, I think, that have... Well, have been on both sides of the fence, whether it be on the popular side or maybe the uh, the unpopular side in life, growing up or or even throughout our, our older years, if you think about it here, because there's something that we all want to have in our life, which is that of an invitation to something. And there is power to invitations. Have you ever, you ever wondered... Or thought to yourself, uh, who do you really want to have dinner with? <laughs> who would you like to sit down and have dinner with in your lifetime? H- have you ever really wanted to sit across the table from somebody that, that interests you the most? Or, or maybe it's somebody that you know, you've been wanting to get their attention. And you've invited them and so on and so forth. And, and you've, you've made invitations, but they haven't really took you up on that for whatever reason. Maybe somebody's been trying to get your attention. Maybe you've been getting some invitations, but you you, you just couldn't make it for whatever reason. Your schedule, or maybe you're just not interested, or vice versa. There is something about an invitation. An invitation makes makes everyone feel special. It, It makes everyone feel wanted and accepted. And so, and again, an invitation is a powerful way to reach to, out to others. It, it, was, it was important in the Bible, which is what we're going to see. You know, our, our Lord, again, I've said it before, our, our God, our Lord is a God of invitation. But I have to question at times, how often do we invita- invite the Lord? How often do we give an invitation to the Lord? Though he always gives the invitations to us. You know, maybe you've also been on the other side of the uh, uh, of the fence there with the, the ones who always throw the parties, you know. You're always throwing the parties, but you don't normally get invited to them because, you know, you're expected to be the party thrower. Well, you know, our Lord, our Lord is amazing because he invites everyone. He invited sinners, he invited the destitute, he invited the uh, the heavy laden. He invites the thirsty to come and drink from his living well of water. And and so invitation is something special. It's something meaningful. Because we all want an invitation to something. But, you know, the, the invitation that, that the Lord gives is the most important invitation that you could ever receive. And there is. There's power in invitation. And so we want to take a look here at, at a very interesting form of an invitation. But again, maybe you've been on the on the side of the fence where you're always inviting people, and 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 they show, you know, they'll show up, but you know, you don't normally always get the invitation. I wonder if that's how the Lord feels sometimes. <laughs> Does He go through that at times in in His heart and His mind? You know, I mean, it would be great to be invited by my kids. And so we're going to see something today that was pretty pretty neat to see. 
and unexpected invitations. So you got to remember in the Bible in these days, when you ate with somebody, that was a form of that was a form of bonding with somebody. And, and especially in Israel and in the ancient Near East, you didn't just eat with people. You didn't just eat with anybody. Because if you weren't of uh, maybe a certain race or a class or whatever the case may be, you, you didn't eat with them because that was a form of, com- uh, of communing with people. And we could even look way back uh, during the days of, of, uh, of Genesis when Joseph was in Egypt. And we've seen when, when Joseph was in Egypt, and even though he was a Hebrew who was basically made an Egyptian ruler, we've seen that even the, the Egyptians and the Hebrews didn't eat with one another. And that was basically due to a, um, a prejudice, if you will, from the Egyptian side. But... In, in Israel, the Jews didn't eat with what you would call Gentiles. You didn't eat with tax collectors. You didn't eat with, you know, uh, certain types of other, uh, you know, uh, professions or, or other types of um, nearby races, if you will. But the Lord, he, he, he pretty much broke the mold. He broke the mold because, you know... You weren't allowed to, to touch a leper because of the contagious uh, disease that it, that it carried. But when the Lord touched a leopard, the leper was cleaned right on the spot. And the Lord didn't get contagious from it. He didn't get the, the disease. The Bible said that he ate with, with uh, all sorts of people. Tax collectors and and so so many other people that really have the ability to influence and bring other people down. But you see, not the Lord. You cannot influence the Lord. The Lord was the one influencing the people, and He influenced somebody. We're going to see here very much to to the to the point to where this guy had just had to have the Lord come to dinner. <laughs> Let's take a look because I call this message. Invite the Lord, he will come. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. And let's take a look here in verses 1 through 10 on what happened here. It says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was, he was short of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass the way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner? And then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So we take this story of Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, was a story of true redemption. See, tax collectors were hated amongst their own people because they would rip them off and charge whatever they, uh, whatever fee they wanted because they had the backing of the Roman government. 
And, and they worked for the Roman government, so they were like lepers without the disease, basically. They, they lived and dwelt amongst their own, okay? Tax collectors then were very well-to-do. Uh, they would throw parties and, and very immoral ones at that. So they were, they were blackballed by their own Jewish people. Uh, they were blackballed by the religious leaders because of their work and lifestyle. And they didn't hang out with the Romans they worked for, so all they had was each other. And all they had was debaucherous women that would associate with them. So this particular tax collector, kind of like Matthew, who was a tax collector that followed Jesus, automatically made it right on the day that they met. See, Jesus knew all things without a word being spoken as he seen Zacchaeus on the tree just to get a glimpse of him. And as he made haste to climb up, uh, he, he made greater haste to come down to see him. Why? Because the Lord called him personally by name. He knows us all by name. And he knows all of our situations. But we can learn from the tax collector that was not just in the form of repentance, but in the excitement of inviting Christ into our home and existence. You know, Zacchaeus received him joyfully. And the invite pleased the Lord. I hear many say Christ would never want me. And how false that is, because he wants all. You know, if you have fallen into the darkest of pits, then, then even more so would he want you. And that's why there was this joyous occasion. You know, on the way to Jerusalem, Christ was on his way for his triumphant arrival. But there's always some important stops on the way to see those who have been waiting or wanting a visit. And this was definitely one of them. Uh, see, this was a joyous event because as a chief tax collector, he was also a chief sinner who had turned from his past ways and offered to make it right with the Lord. But, but he writes it, it writes it as Christ speaks with a glowing joy, yelling out of celebration. Look what has transpired. Look, the joy of a new child as the proud father announces the birth of his son or daughter is what the Lord was doing here. But, you know, there's also those doubters and negative influences, angry about the fact that Jesus would even step foot in his house. See, the Lord said that he too was a son of Abraham by genetic relation. But now by faith through the Lord, a person can, a person can never be saved by a good heritage, nor would they become, uh, become condemned by a bad one, as long as they received salvation. See, we can learn valuable lessons from Zacchaeus, because though you may be a tax collector by career, it doesn't mean you have to be a bad one. Uh, faith is beyond genealogy because faith puts us in the genealogy of Christ. And Zacchaeus wanted to be a son of the Lord, and, and Jesus joyfully received him as a prodigal son. Uh, again, we are in the world, but we don't have to be of it. We are to help the lost and the sick, but we, we must be careful of being influenced or even allowing their contagious ways to bring us into a sickbed because that could happen to any of us. But only Christ himself can accomplish it himself without being lured into a sinful world, which makes us 100% reliant on him equally. So let's take a look here in 11, uh, verses 11 through 14. As the Lord gives a parable here, he says, Now, as, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. 
So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. But his citizens hated him, and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. So as Zacchaeus, you know, he repented for his past deeds during his corporate business days, uh, the Lord gives a parable in something that would probably get the attention of all people. See, the parable of the mina, which was, it was the ancient day money, the money currency in weight or pounds. And, And this could be mistaken as the parable of talents. Which it is a little different because this is in regards to like that of of, uh, financial investment. And I've always found that when money is mentioned in any conversation, all eyes and ears tend to be open. In previous messages uh, that I taught, there was a lot regarding stewardship. And now the Lord revisits that subject because stewardship is again brought up. And speaking to them in ways they can understand, he used common business management practices. Someone purchases a kingdom and goes away on business, but hires a group to watch over the kingdom and his funds. So perhaps an accountant or a stockbroker would be uh, the one to use as the example, because if we have a good amount of money to invest, we put our investment in, uh, in their hands. And Jesus was using this as an example to the kingdom of God. The people in Israel were hoping for a leader to rid of the Roman leadership in their country. But his parable was saying that his kingdom would not take that on right away. He would have to go away for a while, but his followers would have to stay behind and be productive in the adding to his kingdom. Now, of course, they were not following that right then and there, uh, that it had to do with him and his disciples and the thousands and eventually the millions that would continue to grow since his departure to heaven 2,000 years ago. But we are all given something in the form of a task in life uh, with our jobs, our families, our ministries. And they may vary in size or even duties, but what we do during the time is vital because if there is one thing that we share, every single one of us shares in a 24-hour day period. And, And these parables are like excellent sources and tools of understanding to relate to our life then and now because... We share a 24-hour day period, which we also share the same gospel with the same instruction and message. The Word of God is an excellent resource to the building blocks that He has given us, because let's, let's not mistake in the fact that the Lord is not about quantity, but more so about quality. He surely is not about division and subtracting people. We see that He was about multiplying them into the kingdom by the use of the talents the abilities and gifts that he gave. But while the master was away, the servants were expected and entrusted to use the resources he left them. But what's the deal with the citizens who hated the master? Now, little did they realize that it would be him as the hated figure. We will not have this uh, man reign over us, which is still being said today. You know, he did nothing wrong or no harm to anyone. In fact, if anything, he made things better. But, but when it comes to having say over them, they wanted nothing to do with him. Everyone wants a savior, which is what Christ is, but not everyone wants him as Lord. And that is common outlook. Is Jesus just your savior, savior or is he your Lord and savior? 
Now, I was using Christian examples, but these could be more so on the atheist level because you cannot have him as a savior and hate him like the citizens did. Yet they came for healing and then they disappeared uh, to never be seen again. Now, as we continue, let's see what verses 15 and 19 has to say. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. And then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you are faithful in very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. And likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. So, it's intimidating to hear from a man of power and authority to hear the words, I'm putting you in charge of my business. My personal assets are in your hands. And I trust that you will do what's best for me. Well, as intimidating as it is, it's also a blessing and an honor to be chosen for, ch uh, for such a task. But this parable is beyond business practice. It's beyond ethics. It's regarding the stewardship of what the Lord has put before us. Do these, count, uh, do these count toward our work ways and, and business practice? Absolutely it does. But again, to teach this accurately, it's regarding to the work of the Lord, not on being or finding a wise stockbroker to gain personal wealth. That disappears at the blink of an eye or by a bad investment. We are doing the work of God with the resources given by him, but he's looking at what we are doing with, the same, with those resources. You know, see, like the resources and the amount given, our resources are common by one thing, which is time. Our time is one of the main resources that we have, that we have, that we, that we have left, right? Resources, we have some that, that are taken early and some live longer than some expected uh, uh, to live a little more. But what has been done, what has been done with the time that has been given is the question. If you have another day allowed, I pray that we may no longer waste time, but redeem the time. You know, if we, you know, children and youth, this parable can be used in that form as well. Children and youth. <laughs> if you have ever, uh, if you ever poured concrete uh, for a foundation, you see, you have to work quick within a quick time frame. Because once that concrete is done, uh, once it's done drying, that's it. So again, if we have children and youth, this parable is used just for that. Uh, I must form and smooth out the foundation while it's still formable, formable because we, we cannot afford compromising with the ways of the world and the philosophies of men. Uh, I have learned to not give personal opinions, but I give biblical facts because my opinions can be just like any other. They can vary and they can be completely wrong. But you see, the word of God is never wrong, and that is where we need to be aligned with. We're looking at the parable of the minas. The rewards were given by what was accomplished. One earned ten, and the other uh, five minas, which was given accordingly. As I was led to the seven churches in the book of uh, Revelation, uh, the Lord spoke to seven churches in regards to what they were doing while they were in existence. And the funny thing was, out of the seven churches, two out of the seven were doing pretty good. 
The other five had some problems that the Lord was wanting addressed. But at the end of each comment for each church, a reward was offered for the things done well, okay? Even to the church that was the worst of the, of the uh, bunch because of pagan worship amongst them had a, had a reward given to them if they stayed the course. And, and for the ones that were not walking as close, rewards were good for coming back and staying the course. The loveless church of Ephesus would be allowed to eat from the tree in paradise. Uh, the compromising church of Pergamos would uh, would be given a white stone, which was an invitation to a banquet, kind of like what we're going with here. And we have the dead church of Sardis, which will be given white garments to wear in the form of purity. But you see, the two churches that have done well, Smyrna, the persecuted church, will receive the crown of life. And listen to the faithful church of Philadelphia. It says, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, and the new Jerusalem which comes down from heaven from my God, and will write on him my new name. Now that's pretty impressive rewards by that of the most faithful, but yet the smallest of the seven churches, which was Philadelphia... But, but let's see what comes from doing the opposite of, uh, of uh, faithful stewardship of resources. In verse 20 to 27. And then another came saying, Master, here's your mina which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my, uh, at my coming I might have collected it with an interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Now, as we're going to stop there, because there's going to be a part two uh, to chapter 19, uh, we're going to be stopping here at this verse. And it says, now again, the message was not on being a, this message is not on being a good businessman only, which I am sure businessmen will use this parable to their advantage of putting fear into an employee. But it was stewardship and the call of the Lord's work is what this was about. Can we use this in our business practice? Well, sure we can, because when Christ used a parable, it was used in true events in which we ourselves can tell stories of in our own life. But again, the principle was in concern for what belonged to the master. The last servant just kept it hidden and never touched it out of fear, which, you know, some could say I would do the same and others would have done the opposite. But the Lord was pointing out that the first one uh, rewarded the greatest is the one who showed the most interest in the master's kingdom. The last one who did nothing showed concern for only himself. 
Now, what what can I do for the Lord? Now, after reading this, and I am now concerned because I would be better off not doing anything for him if, if this is what happens, right? You could probably question in some people's minds. But if that is a question in your mind, I'm not sure, but, but, but it is a lesson to, uh, to do the best for the Lord because he does his best for us even after the fact that he died for us and rose again, he's still living and active. I have uh, I led a home Bible study uh, that I've been leading for about six years at this point, of, as we're in um, um, April of 2018. And the owner of the home opens up in prayer, and I close this out in prayer when the study is over. In his recent prayer, he prayed that if we can in some way repay the Lord by what we're doing here... And may we do so wholeheartedly is what his prayer was. I thank him for that because what we do is in God's glory to grow closer to him. To know more of him and to seek him in all ways. See, it started originally as a men's gathering about eight years ago. And then it became an adult study where it was men and women, whoever wanted to come. But see, it went from a Bible study... To a discipleship. It has gone beyond just a gathering. It has gone beyond a reading and discussion time. It, is, it has become a place where the Lord is amongst us. And has allowed us to do so for these years. Because we're there for him in truth. Now I pray that this was not a message of discouragement of service and stewardship to you. But more of a preventative reminder that as long as we're here on earth. We are given responsibilities. But the Lord gives us these responsibilities, and he will equip us if we rely on him and trust in him. We all want the Lord to shower us with blessings, yet some don't concern ourselves in his kingdom and concerns. We all want his blessings and gifts, but some don't want a relationship with him. And, and what this is about is using the gifts and responsibilities wholeheartedly. If you've been given the, the gift of teaching, may you give your all as I pray that I have done for you, as I am only as good as the word. Okay, I'm only as good as the word itself, but more importantly, I pray that God is pleased first and foremost. If it is in giving, give. It's in, if it's encouraging, if it's counseling, and even cleaning the place where God has allowed you to meet, may you do it for him with the same diligence of the first servant rewarded. If we can trust God to govern our lives first, then he will bless us because our faith, when we give with the concern for others that he does, then, he, then he, we will ble we'll be blessed by our own obedience. Because if we're not concerned about the salvation of others, then are we even truly saved ourselves? So I pray that we'll take the right steps. The right steps are, are that of first receiving Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now, whether you have been listening from day one, or whether this is your first time ever hearing a sermon preached on a voice in the distance, at the end of every message, there is an invitation. See, again, invitations are powerful because an invitation to something, can, an invitation to dinner to somebody's house 
can be just as powerful in evangelism as it is going to a crusade amongst thousands of people. Because you have a one-on-one relationship time of breaking bread with one another in fellowship. See, that's what the Lord wants with you. He wants it with us. He wants us to be doing this as a collective worship as well as he does on an individual basis. And again, invitation is the greatest and strongest part of evangelism. I don't care if if you were the, the most popular person growing up or if you were the least popular person. The Lord wants you just the same. It don't matter what your background was. It doesn't matter what any of that stuff was. He wants you just the same. And so the invitation given now is the invitation to receive Him as Lord and Savior. And whether you are popular here on earth or or, or unpopular, I can guarantee you from His perfect and inerrant word that whosoever should give their life to the Lord, that all of heaven is rejoicing. Don't matter who you are. You could be... The, the worst criminal <laughs> that's ever done some of the most harshest things and given your life to the Lord. And you could be somebody who's lived a quiet life. Never really did too many things wrong. You, you did well for the most part. But you give your life to the Lord. Heaven is celebrating just as equal for the criminal as they were for the good guy because a saved soul has come into play. A saved soul is now on their way to heaven. Now, will you invite the Lord? Will you invite him into your heart? Why not be like Zacchaeus? Why not have a passion to to want to invite him to the dinner table, wherever we go? What a valuable lesson we've learned from from the chief tax collector, the chief of sinners. (laughs) Because we're no different, we're no better. We rely on Him, on the Lord, just the same. So the invitation is here if you want to receive it. And by by this invitation and you receiving the Lord, He gives you not just a ticket into heaven, because tickets, you know, they could be lost, they could be misplaced. What He gives you is a seal of approval that cannot be taken from you. But you got to want it. You gotta want him. Invite him and he'll come. So pray with me. If you feel led to receive the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit to receive the Lord as your Savior. Father, Lord, I come before you to ask for forgiveness of my sins. And please, Lord, forgive me of all of that I've done. I pray, Lord, that you will cleanse me of all of my sins. And Lord, I pray that you will give me a new heart, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you will, Lord, remember me and have me when my time is up, Father, Lord. As I now receive you as my Lord and my Savior. I receive you as my Father, Lord. I receive you as my Redeemer. I ask, Lord, that you would come into my heart now. 
that, Lord, that I would walk with you closely with all of my days. So thank you, Lord, for having me. Thank you, Lord, for dying for me. And may we take this time now, Father, together, Lord, to walk together for all of my days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I pray that, that you've said that because it's the most important decision you could ever make in your life. To receive the Lord is to receive salvation. It's your ticket into heaven. So, again, the key is to be watered by Him because we need to grow. So, He offers living water. A water that, that once you drink, you'll never thirst again. But you've got to continue to seek Him and you've got to continue to walk with Him in order to grow. So I pray you'll join me here at A Voice in the Distance as that is the goal. To grow closer to Him. To receive Him. To equip the saints. And just to spend some good quality time with one another in Him. May God bless you.